I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. Has anyone else been feeling super swamped lately? Now that everything is online, sometimes I feel like I'm just constantly staring at a screen. And there's been so much happening this year, and it's all happening so quick. I can't believe April's almost over. And some stuff has been falling through the cracks on my end. So I'm really channeling all of my skills to stay on top of it. So if there are unanswered emails, just go ahead and send those to me again. Don't feel bad if I don't respond to you. It's an accident. Just poke me again. So let's see. Today, my guest, oh, he's such a gentle soul. He is a patient advocate. And he's very passionate about mental health and creating space for males who are having mental health struggles. His activism began in 2017 when he was diagnosed with a rare disease called Cowden syndrome. After a period of coming to terms with that, he became committed to raising awareness and helping to support others who are impacted by this condition. His latest project has been to set up rare disease mental health international Zoom calls for male patients, which I think is just incredible, and I can't wait for their podcast. So let's get into it, shall we? Please enjoy my conversation with David Ross. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you and getting to know you a little better. Can you give us a little rundown? Where are you from and what are you doing here in the rare disease world? Um, yeah, um, I'm from the uh, UK. I was diagnosed with my rare condition, Cowden syndrome, about three and a half years ago. And since then, really, it's been a, uh, I don't know, it's been a real roller coaster journey, really, in terms of what I've learned about my condition, managing my health uh, and the impact that uh, that's had on the family life and meet, uh, as well as meeting kind of loads of um, amazing people in the rare disease community. Yeah, you said you have a family. David, how many kids do you have? Yeah, just the one daughter. Yeah, One daughter. Okay. Yeah, yeah she's 14 now. So She's 14. So when you discovered that you were living with a rare disease, how did that impact your family life when you brought that diagnosis home? For me, it kind of started with um, a letter from my mother. She'd been diagnosed with the uh, same rare condition I, I had. And she went, this is about three or four years uh, before she passed away. And about a year before she passed away, um, she gave me this letter and it was information for my GP primary doctor around this is what you need to do to get tested should you want to get tested. And at the time, like, I didn't know what to do with a letter. I, I was too busy living my life, but also too scared to sort of deal w with the possible consequences of the letter um, because I could see the impact it had on my mother's health. So I kind of left it. And then I don't, not long after she passed away, I realised... Uh, really I should do something about it and then it, that sort of turned into a year so yeah, after she passed away I, I went to get tested and then was found to have the same condition as her and I didn't know what to think really at first I, I think I thought everything really everything went through my mind 
But at the time, I had a really supportive genetics counsellor and she taught me through through the process of getting tested. And uh, then it came to my uh, daughter, so the, the option that she could be tested. And yeah, that was a difficult decision to put on her at that age. She was about I don't know, 11 at that time. And um, we kind of decided to, to, to get her tested as well. She was a bit uncomfortable about the whole thing, but she, she was found to not be a carrier of the condition. So there was a lot of uh, anticipation around that because women are impacted by the rare disease or have worse than men. So that was a relief, obviously. But then, yeah, it, was, it felt like so much going on. My mother passed away. Then they found to have the same condition than my daughter. So a lot to deal with, really, over a short space of time. But, um, yeah, fortunately, my, you know, my daughter doesn't have the condition. Yeah, I think it started then as to what, what to do with, with uh, my life now and uh, how does this impact me and, and how does it impact my wife and daughter? I'm so glad your daughter had no diagnosis of this, and I'm really sorry for the loss of your mom, David. Yeah, I know thanks. that's been really difficult. That letter that she wrote you, you didn't read it until after your mom passed away? No, I didn't. Um, I knew what it was about. I kept it safely to one side. But I, I think there was a denial, a slight denial of the seriousness of it all, really. Um, yeah, you, could, you, you knew she was unwell. But seeing it written down, was, I, it was another thing in itself for me, in, in the sense of seeing it written down on paper, kind of something I didn't really want to read at that time, even though I was aware of the state of her health. So I left it till after I read it through, and it felt like, well, this is something I have to find out about and get tested. Yeah, that would be really tough to tough to open up and face for sure. Is the rare disease that the both of you live with or lived with, is that what took your mother's life in the end? Yes, a condition that uh, causes uh, a risk of certain cancers. So she, she passed away of thyroid cancer with pneumonia as a contributing factor, but because of the rare disease she had, it made her a, great, a greater risk to the cancer that she had in the end. So yeah, there was a, a regret that I, I had acted on the letter quicker because it, I think I know. I feel it would have been made made some difference towards the end of her life uh, that we both shared this information. So I suppose since I was diagnosed, I, I kind of fell on my own. Got relief for my daughter, but it was like, where next, really? Um, so yeah, you go through a load of emotions. What does this mean? Um, you, you appear on the outside okay and healthy, but you're at the start of a journey, a journey of finding out more about yourself, health-wise, and and where do you go next on, on this journey? Were you having any symptoms at that time, or? Have they kind of showed up since then? Well, no, I, I've been, unfortunately, um, I've been the same really since before diagnosis. So it wasn't obvious. Well, it, it, I suppose it was obvious in, in the sense of the physical manis- manifestations of it. Like, you know, people in our community have a large head, uh, skin issues, for example. <laughs> But it, yeah, it, it doesn't, um, no, no cancers as of, as of yet. So nothing serious, really. So I've still been who I was before diagnosis um, in our community, uh, developmental delay, autism. But then I hadn't been, not great in the classroom academically, but I hadn't had any sort of autism diagnosis when I was younger. So really th- there hasn't been any, any change since before or after diagnosis in, in that sort of respect. It definitely sets things into perspective, right? Where your mom was trying to, help you and pass along this information and then you were hit with it with the passing of her and realizing that you had to face this reality to do the same thing for your daughter ultimately felt like a roller coaster i mean it's, it's felt like a roller coaster rather past 
so many years since diagnosis and, and, if, and it feels like, like I've got to or I've had to act quicker than what I would have done before. That's where it has changed me and I've had to be kind of the, the man more than what I've ever been or the, the parental person that really I, I didn't think I really had in me since um, I've had to face some some big decisions and uh, at a quicker pace there's, there's no mother to run back to for advice or, or support and that taking of support has always been a um has really got me through the past so many years since diagnosis really you know i've googled several times even before meeting you parents who have a rare disease that's onset later in life who have kids who don't have a rare disease and it's an impossible thing to google which i'm sure you know i've googled it in so many different terms and i can't find any support networks for that specific demographic of parents who have a rare disease who are raising kids. Have you found roadblock after roadblock like I did in trying to find a network of support for parents like you? Well, actually, there's no support out there for um, uh, patients like myself uh, or parent, parents like myself. Really, I know of a few that are parents who have, a, uh, who have a rare disease that bring up children that don't. But I do think it's kind of something that needs to be addressed, the impact on families, particularly the children who are seeing their parents go through uh, health issues or and, or being impacted by patient advocacy. There's there's that, that sort of trying to sort of balance out that normal family life. Uh, but also there's this rare disease advocacy, your own health. And it's hard to really sort of, um, um, you know, they're, they're separate, but they're connected. It's hard really to sort of, you know, more with the family side, I'm thinking of it. It's hard really not, not to have that uh, impact, um, the family. Life. And my, my daughter's situation, I think she been impacted by the loss of a gran and uh, me sort of uh, going through my own health issues or tests and that sort of thing and um yeah it's a constant thing that you kind of you, you're left on your own to really deal with and you get some support from people in your, in your, commu- in your community but not not always support the support you need in terms of you know looking at the um rare, rare disease patient who's bringing up a child that is okay side have you felt the need to somewhat like hide your struggles from your family yeah it's difficult to talk about with my extended family unfortunately you know my wife is supportive about it and my daughter is kind of supportive but kind of finds it difficult at times um but the extended family yeah they, they're kind of uh, in a bit of denial about it all really it's difficult for them that's left me with kind of nowhere to go with it from a extended family point of view and um, it's been really been people in, in in the community that have or some of them in the community that I've connected with and have got support really which is kind of good but kind of and but then, then that's not always been the sort of right support in terms of you know, uh, issues around my daughter or trying to be the family person but trying to deal with all their disease those are so many different plates yeah. to juggle you yeah. know your own grief your own mental health being a dad being a spouse watching your daughter that's a lot to kind of manage and I'm sure there's a lot of you'd probably have to take that piece by piece or you'd lose it. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's true, actually. Um, last year I did a, um, I managed to get a piece done about me with Global Genes and uh, it was titled Finding the, the, the Male Role Model Within Me. Um, and, and yeah, I, I feel like I'm having to be that and take on so much because I don't know that that's just the situation I'm in. It's easy to get overwhelmed with the situation I'm in and the only way through it is to sort of focus on things one step at a time, I feel. 
when this was all kind of happening, your mom passed away, you read this letter, you get a test, you get your daughter test. Was there some sort of resistance to kind of really breaking open in a sense and finding out like your own advocacy journey and finding your own mental health journey? Were you kind of stuck for a while or did you realize that maybe this was something you had to do quickly to sort of stay sane and move forward? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I was, I was stuck for a short time. I think I had to move quickly with it and take up this uh, advocacy cause. Um, I think I needed to know more about my own rare condition. And yeah, there's information online or um, there's a couple of charities, but I needed to really uh, connect with other patients about what they were going through. And also, I, it, that sort of quickly turned into um, supporting others who I felt like for me it was too late for my mother, but try and do what I can for other people um, and, and support other people with, with problems around their health. So I, I for a while I was involved in a support group. Um, so, yeah, I had to move quickly and take on opportunities. One of the other things which was a positive in the story was um i was involved in a 13-month clinical trial at boston children's hospital so um, i managed to go over eight times for that and uh, take my daughter uh two times so it was kind of like the roller coaster side of it really where um we'd never been to america for before my daughter and i and um she totally loved it we got to meet um another family in our community and uh, you know it felt like i don't know it felt like normal it felt like in a crazy way, yeah, the, yeah, normal family stuff, kind of a bit like the family situation on, on my side, certainly, that I, I and my daughter and me don't really have anymore. So, um, and also to sort of, for me to meet, the first people I reached out to when I was diagnosed was from Boston. And uh, to actually meet her, I think three or four times I met her when I, when I went over, was kind of like, I don't know, so amazing. I just hope I can see her again, and I'm sure I will at some stage. So... I don't know, there was kind of like, I don't know, moving quickly, this opportunity. At one point, I felt like I was really on top of the world of it all, I suppose. I don't know, that sounds a bit crazy, but I feel like I was making a difference for myself with this trial, uh, connecting with families, which meant a lot to my daughter and me. Having this experience in America, um, I felt like some good was coming our way for our loss. So... Yeah, there's been so much going on, really, um, and this fast pace. I don't know. It kind of helps. I think it kind of helps me, but I'm always there's a balance between it. Between yeah, it, it drives me along, but and it's kind of needed, but kind of it can overwhelm you, and you do need to take time for yourself, for your family. Yeah, I I think I hear that a lot from people. I love that you said that though. That it kind of lit you on fire a little bit, and you felt like you were moving forward and making a difference. Do you feel like that changed at some point or it kind of just ebbs and flows in energy level? It ebbs and flows. Um, I think the past year, what with COVID, has stopped travel opportunities. But then I've needed to refocus and take care of things more home, you know, with my daughter. So it's kind of a shame for me personally. Um, but then things at home around my daughter's schooling have kind of taken more of a priority. But... I don't know. I've kind of looked looked at that as an opportunity. Looked at well, what I can, what can I do from home? And I've reached out to a few people last year and set up international Zoom calls for male 
patients, rare disease patients and caregivers. Because ever since I was diagnosed, I was like, well, there are loads of um, fantastic female advocates, but don't seem to be as many uh, guys, uh, whether it's patients or dads talking about um, rare disease, uh, whether it's patient or caregiver and how that impacts their mental health. I myself never knew my real father and only since my mother's passed away, I found out that um, he passed away sort of years back. Um, so there was kind of like that need for um, being the stronger male from my point of view, but also kind of encouraging the, the males to sort of speak out about what they're going through. So yeah, I um, got connected with a few others and um, we set up monthly calls and yeah, it's been, it's been so good to sort of um, be able to do that, um, learn from guys who are perhaps a bit more uh, used to speaking about their health and uh, uh, where they've been. And, and there's an opportunity for me to speak about what I'm going through and, and as well as others. So, and um, yeah, it's got me um, as well because of that. It's kind of got me in, uh, for next month uh, invited onto the rare uh, disease uh, dad's panel at um, uh, My City Med's Rare Fair. So, Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's exciting. When I heard that you were really passionate about kind of creating this community of dads like you, I had heard it before from another dad. And like I said, I've Googled this stuff and like this, it just doesn't show up. And I would love to see an organized little space on the Internet that you know, this next dad in the journey can find you all in a lot more easily than it's been for me to even find you because it's such an important little group. Well, actually, probably a big group that I think really needs to be recognized and needs support from all of us on the outside to help you guys have a spotlight so people can find you. Because we all know finding your people and, you know, the power of social media, especially with rare disease, is is true life. Yeah, it, it's kind of heading in the right direction with my plans for it step by step. It's hard to sort of achieve everything whilst managing your day-to-day life. Rare disease, mental health, uh, advocacy work. But yeah, it, it's definitely needed. And it was never going to be something that was going to like change dramatically overnight. But yeah, there's, there's within the past six months, there's been interest in what I've been doing um so uh, which is good um there's been you know good attendance really um but it's going to take time to sort of get it to the level i want for these zoom calls and um in the next month i'm i'm actually or two i'm going to set up an on- online support group for um it's part of this find find a find a cure they're a rare disease organization in the uk so it's part of um uh my, my um smart objectives i'm doing for them to set up a uh um, an online support group. So it's slowly coming together. Yes, it's exciting. And I'm more than happy to help spread the word and yeah, share yeah. anywhere. So what do you think has made the biggest difference for you so far in your own mental health journey through this rare disease life? It's difficult to say one exact thing. I I, I think it, it, I, I think it's a general uh, feeling of of being able to realise that you've got to um, be a stronger person or to deal with your health. And I think an understanding of the strength you need to deal with your health uh, physically, mentally, um, to actually to lead a normal life, support people where you can, but obviously make time for yourself. Yeah. Have you found support that maybe helps you a little more being 
maybe therapy or was it some sort of like writing that you've done? Was it connecting with these other people in the rare disease? Anything like that really just feed you? After my mother passed away, I went to a bereavement support group where there was counsellors running it, as well as other people affected by their own bereavement. And it was weird. It, it was for me. It was like when I first went there, it was like a lot of people. It was in the daytime because I worked shifts. That was the best time for me to go. So this support group was in the daytime. And I first went into this room. It was full of like older people, people of retirement age, mainly women, hardly any men, one or two men. And like I first went in, the, what, what, what am I doing in here? It just felt like, well, what, what connection have I got with them? But Really, that was a real learning curve, really. Um, uh, um, talking to people in, impacted by their various losses, was I, I gained just as much from as the counsellors. And that was kind of like a, a big sort of learning thing, really. And it kind of made me feel, actually, well, I'm sort of lucky, really, um, for my loss in comparison to someone else's. Well, some of them had lost children. Some of them were on their own, uh, really, with no, with, with no f- close family. And it made me always always look to the positive for that one. Also, there have been a couple of um, really supportive uh, rare disease friends who, one in particular, is great with knowledge and guidance uh, in terms of my advocacy. And one... She's just really great as a friend. She just gets what I'm saying. I like to think I get what I'm saying. And then those two in particular, yeah, I owe a lot to really. I love that you kind of switched your perspective in the grief counseling sessions, because I feel like in so many different ways, all of us have kind of had this part, you know, in this journey where we feel angry or victimized or whatever, and just having a snapback and realizing the empathy that you truly do have for others. It just really connects. You just see how much everyone is connected, even though your path is so different. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it became for me there, really. And that was one of the best decisions I've ever made of my life to go to this bereavement support group. I, I, I was actually there for it was once every two weeks, but I was there for just over three years, really. And, you know, the doors are always open open for me to go back. Well, obviously, COVID permitted um, if I ever need it. That really, really was a benefit. You told me earlier that you felt that you feel like a different person since your diagnosis. Can you explain that a little bit as how you feel different as a person or as a dad? Being given a diagnosis makes you um, try not to take things for granted. I think it makes you go out and, and want to do all the things that you can do. Look to building, the, appreciating the strong friendships, relationships you have. Um, and as a father, yeah, that, that, that's a difficult one because I, I think the advocacy, it can sort of, uh, it, it, especially in the home environment all the time, that can be um, overwhelming and it's kind of impact family life. But yeah, it, it also it makes you want to do more um, for, for your daughter, really. And, and, and also, sort of, whilst that's hard to sort of control at times, especially at the moment with COVID, the importance of making time for her and uh, fitting in as much normal life as well, really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a constant tightrope, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Some days you feel like, you're, you know, you're not winning, but yeah. I think you become more focused. Always remember, as someone say, um, David Rose from Rare Revolution magazine. I met him last year in London and he was like, yeah, I remember 
he said in a, in an interview somewhere it's character building um, having a rare disease and yeah I can understand that <laughs> totally it's kind of like you have to be uh, actually but yeah and that's hard but it, yeah there, there's in my view there's some reward in, in that it makes you value things more yeah absolutely what do you think was the lesson that took you the longest to learn I think taking time for your self in all of this really um because i think you know you, you go to work you have to figure there's rare disease things going on and webinars courses uh, zoom calls and and you know when you're on a different time zone um to others i've found at times getting tired and run down with all trying to catch up with times in america and because i'm ahead it, you know you, you start to sort of can or can get a, yeah I have got a bit run down with it all so yeah that that making time for myself and um, making sure you know you kind of get you know a reasonable to good amount of sleep and uh, and yeah if you want to you know, have some time to watch TV and and not always pick up messages from other people yeah yeah that's been a, t- a bit of a tough one to learn but um thanks to you know this supportive rare disease friend yeah she's kind of helped me sort of realize like I'm not going anywhere you know you need to sort of take care of yourself gets my passion and enthusiasm but (laughs) she knows I'm not going to be any good if I I don't sort of take care of myself yeah I think having that accountability person in this world is really important because I mean we've all heard about it right the burnout from being a patient from being a caregiver or whatever it is self-care is a common thread and yeah it's It's easy to keep going because you can but you actually can't you you can't you, you know you can't do everything and um yeah, I think that's been perhaps a, an issue in the rare disease community for some. What are some of the things that you do specifically for your own self-care? So it'd be um, watching um, TV, uh, listening to music, uh, been enjoying going out for uh, a few sort of short walks, really, during lockdown. Um, yeah, enjoy a beer or two as well in front of the TV. But also I've been trying to make a bit more time for my daughter, really, um, she needs that off me and actually once we're not distracted it, it, yeah it generally goes well so <laughs> you know you, you've got to like turn off you know again it's that sort of um being unconnected from you know all these wonderful people in in, in the rare disease community but for example yeah but being unconnected from that for a few hours at least one day and um making time for yourself and uh, yeah for your daughter yeah yeah i love that well, David, is there anything else that you want to leave our audience with? Any resources that you found that have helped you or anything else? No, I think I've more or less covered everything. All right. Well, I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me today about this, David. And I look forward to helping you spread your message and, you know, however I can help getting this group some notoriety and some membership status. I'm in. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Effie. It's been great to be on the podcast. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.